In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to him, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, this is not a, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy for, from God. Sorry, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you and have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute, execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay in your bed are these. 
As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom, wisdom than any other living man, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken into pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, salt will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Rupert Murdoch is a man who has uh, built an empire, uh, starting from very humble beginnings in Adelaide many years ago. Uh, News Corporation now controls a vast, a vast network of uh, media throughout the world. Um, television networks, movie companies like Fox, pay TV, uh, the internet, newspapers, publishing and so on. Uh, 
Uh, it's true to say, I think, that Rupert Murdoch's empire has, uh, is one of the most influential uh, media empires in the entire world today. But in the last few, in the last three months of 2008, News Corp posted a net loss of 11.7 billion Australian dollars. That is in a three-month period. Now, put that into perspective: the federal government's agonising over a 40 point, some 43 billion dollar injection into the Australia. Here's one company that has lost 11.3 billion dollars in uh, 11.7 billion dollars in only three months. Uh, when he was interviewed about the erosion of his empire, Mr Murdoch was as cool as a cucumber. Let me tell you what he said, and I quote, he said, we were anticipating a weakening, the downturn is more severe and likely longer lasting than previously thought. News Corp is implementing rigorous cost cutting across all operations and reducing headcount where appropriate. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Pretty kind of level, business-like, you know. You wouldn't think that anything was particularly wrong, but I can almost guarantee you that the stress levels at News Corp's head office over the last few months would have been red hot, would have been dreadful. Now, nobody likes to see their empire under threat. Uh, not economically, and it's true also in the realm of politics. Presidents and prime ministers, they, they may not necessarily be fearing the erosion of their nation, but they do fear the erosion of their little empire. They fear that uh, they will lose their job and they spend a lot of time fending off others, that they might uh, retain their position. But you don't have to be the president of a country or the CEO of a multinational corporation to be an empire builder. Uh, we all have uh, ambitions. Uh, we all have our sphere of influence. Uh, it may be the control that we exercise at home. Uh, it might be the power that we exert in our place, place of employment. It might be the influence that... Uh, we enjoy in other areas of the community. It might be that our little empire consists of the abundance of our possessions, our real estate, our house, our bank balance and so on. We can all be little emperors. And the harder that you've worked for something, the, uh, the, the harder you fight in order to keep it intact which may be the responsible thing to do, but at what cost? And what if your empire should begin to crumble? Uh, what would life mean for you then? Nebuchadnezzar was a man who sat on the throne of the Babylonian Empire. Now, he did not build this empire from scratch. Uh, his uh, father, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, had uh, done a lot of work in terms of building the empire. But as crown prince, Nebuchadnezzar was in charge of the Babylonian armies and he led those Babylonian armies into significant uh, victories against uh, the great 
powers of their time in that region of uh, Assyria and Egypt. And when his father died in 606 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, who had contributed to the uh, building up of this empire, uh, was enthroned as king of Babylon. Now think about his position. Uh, He uh, was the ruler of this expansive empire Uh, But those nations around him that were not technically part of the Babylonian Empire, they lived in fear. Uh, The kings of those surrounding nations lived uh, in terror of Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar entered into some uh, covenantal arrangements with those kings, those rulers. Uh, For those who are interested, the... uh, technical term for those covenantal arrangements was a suzerain-vassal covenant. Uh, The suzerain is the big king, the powerful king, the mighty king, the king who is to be feared. The vassal is the subservient king, the little guy uh, who wants to get on the good side of uh, of, of the suzerain. And the deal was this. The deal was that if the small kings, that is the vassal kings, if they would honour and obey the great and mighty suzerain Nebuchadnezzar, if they would uh, uh, send to him on a regular basis um, treasures of gold and silver and the abundance of their... If they would do that for Nebuchadnezzar, then for his part, his end of the deal was that he would refrain from obliterating them from the face of the planet. Sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? But that was the deal. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had the world at his feet, but he was a most unhappy man. Now, it wouldn't surprise you to know that the person who's the ruler of an empire would have his stresses and his strains and so on, but the reason for his unhappiness is slightly different to that. If you turn to chapter 2 of Daniel on page uh, 625, we see in the opening verses, in in verse 1, that uh, this man could not sleep at night. He was troubled in his mind. Uh, The reason was that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had been having a bad dream. He'd been having a dream that kept on recurring and recurring and recurring. It was a dream that was getting under his skin because he wondered if this dream had some meaning. He wondered if this dream was the, uh, the gods uh, trying to tell him something. Perhaps this was a dream that was telling him something about his future. Maybe it was bad news about his empire. He had to know. He couldn't sleep, he couldn't rest until he knew what this dream meant. And so in verse 2 through to verse 6, in verse 2 we are told that the king uh, summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to to tell him what he had dreamt. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic. Let me just uh, pause at that point uh, and say that uh, 
uh, from here on right through to the end of chapter 7, the original text here is not written in Hebrew, as is the rest of the Old Testament, but it's written in Aramaic. It is written in the language of the Babylonians. Uh, it's quite unique in the Bible uh, that that is the case. Uh, you recall that the, uh, the Jews, when they were in exile, when they were released from exile, that they brought back with them uh, to Jerusalem uh, Aramaic. They spoke Aramaic, the language of the Babylonians, and that was the language which Jesus and his disciples spoke uh, with one another. So it's a unique thing that from here on to the end of chapter 7 that, uh, that you have a portion of the Bible that's not written in Greek or Hebrew, but in Aramaic. Back to the text. So then in verse 6, the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Now, here we are introduced to Babylonian spirituality and the magi, uh, the magicians, the sorcerers, the wise men of Babylon. Um, these men claimed to be able to predict the future uh, through astrology, through looking at the stars and the alignment of the, of the stars and so on. Uh, they claimed to be able to predict the future through being in tune with the spiritual world. And uh, they, were, um, uh, they were paid handsomely by ancient kings uh, to do just that for them. But Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting guy because it seems that he wasn't con totally convinced. He was a bit of a cynic in regards to these characters. And so he said to them, before you tell me the interpretation of the dream, um, here's a little test for you. Here's just a little thing that you can clarify for me, just so that we can check that you actually are in tune with spiritual realities. Um, before you tell me the interpretation of the dream, tell me what the dream was. Right? You see the test there? I mean, anyone can come up with an interpretation and, uh, you, know, and you, you, you wouldn't be able to check it. But here is some information that Nebuchadnezzar knew that they didn't know and so he put them... To, now, at this point, they're stumped. Uh, it was a good test because it proved that they were fakes. Uh, but um, and never, and even so, Nebuchadnezzar gave them some pretty good incentive to work hard at uh, trying to be able to tell him the dream and interpret it for him. He told them that uh, if they could tell him what the dream was, what the dream was then he would shower them with position and wealth and all of the great things of his kingdom. That's if they could tell him what the dream was. But if they could not tell him what the dream was, he would cut them to pieces and he would turn their houses into rubble. Now, I reckon that's good incentive to work hard, don't you? Uh, you know, you wouldn't... Uh, he, he, he really gave them a couple of reasonable options there to work hard to get it right. 
Now, you can imagine the tension in the royal court. And we see the response of the astrologers in verse 10. In verse 10, uh, they say to him, uh, uh, in verse 10, they, they say, The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live amongst men. Now, what does this tell us about their spirituality? It tells us that their gods don't speak through them, nor do they live amongst them. Their gods are remote, they are impersonal. And so in verse 12, Nebuchadnezzar orders the bloodbath to commence. Uh, This is in sharp contrast to chapter 1 where Nebuchadnezzar had actually instigated a new program to educate more wise men to be his advisers. But we also see here the contrast between Babylonian spirituality and true spirituality. Uh, You see that contrast in the way that Daniel responded uh, to the uh, ultimatum of the king. Uh, Firstly, in verses 14 through to 16, Daniel spoke to the commander who had come to perform the executions and then he also got an audience to speak with the king. But how did he speak? Uh, He didn't panic. Uh, He didn't uh, have fear. Rather, we're told that he spoke with wisdom and tact. And he asks for some more time. Interestingly, because when the uh, other wise men uh, wanted more time, Nebuchadnezzar said, look, you're just stalling. But apparently he respected Daniel and he gave him some more time. Secondly, in verse 17, Daniel and his, he went back to his friends and they prayed to God for mercy. Uh, then in verses 19 through to 23, when God told that Daniel the dream and its meaning, he thanked God, he praised God. Now, do you see the difference with Babylonian spirituality? The Babylonian gods are remote and silent, yet... Uh, In verse 18, the true God is merciful. In verse 19, he listens to prayers. And in verses 21 through to 22, he reveals wisdom and truth to men. He's very different to the false gods of Babylon. Now, in case you think that this is sort of not particularly relevant to us, uh, think again. Because the true God is also very different to the false spiritualities that exist in our own day. Uh, people today uh, put their trust in, in things like the stars, the astrology columns in the, in the newspapers. Uh, there was an American president in the 1980s whose wife regularly consulted astrologers and ran the White House and the president's program according to the advice of the, of, of the astrologers who, searched, who, who tried to understand the stars. Right? People today uh, put their trust in New Age movement stuff, like in, in crystals and in tarot cards and in Eastern mysticism. 
you go to one of the, uh, the expos for, uh, you know, the Body, Soul and Mind expos and uh, they are crowded with people um, seeking to be in touch with some kind of a spiritual reality. One of the differences, and they do so rather than trying to connect and relate to the God who is personal, the God who speaks to us and the God who has indeed lived amongst us in the person of his son Jesus. Uh, the attraction of these spiritualities, these alternative spiritualities, uh, is that uh, it enables you to feel that you actually are a kind of a spiritual person but there is no sense in which anyone is asking you to repent. There's no sense in which you're actually asked to consider how you're living your life and to change and to start serving your creator and serve other people. It's a very, you can actually make God in your own image through uh, worshipping, through indulging in these false spiritualities. And it's very much about me. It's about what's going to happen in my life, um, how I can be blessed and so on. Have you read your stars in the newspaper lately? I trust not. Now, there's something else that we learn about the true God in Daniel's praise. Take a look at verse 21. Uh, in verse 21, as Daniel is giving thanks to God for revealing the dream to him, he says of God, He changes times and seasons. He is the one who sets up kings and deposes them. Now, that I think is probably the key verse in the whole of the, the chapter. Um, you might want to correct the verse numbering in your uh, outlines. I think I've got verse 26 or 27. It's tw verse 21, I think, is a key verse because it's saying a, a key truth about God. It is saying that the true God is actually the sovereign ruler over uh, this world and that uh, the earthly kings are simply put there and taken away by him. Now, we see this uh, in what Daniel says to the king uh, in verse 26 and following. Uh, think about King Nebuchadnezzar, insecure, tortured by his dreams, cynical about the Babylonian charlatans, but he seems to respect Daniel. Verse 26, the second part of verse 26. Have a look at it. He says, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dreams and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. And then Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the content of the dream. I've uh, summarised that for you in your outlines. There was a, Daniel says that you saw, O king, a statue of a man and the man's anatomy, the statue of the man, his anatomy was made up of different metals. The head comprised of gold. The chest and the arms were made of silver. The belly and the thighs were made of bronze. The legs were made of iron. Now this is an incredible picture, isn't it? This guy looks pretty tough and pretty valuable, especially from the head, uh, particularly at the head. 
He looks tough and he looks valuable until you get to the feet. Because there we are told that the feet were made with iron, so there was a certain strength in those feet, but they were mixed with clay. Um, Have you heard the saying, uh, someone has clay feet? Uh, It means that um, there is something about that person which was not known to others, but proved to be the person's weak point. Uh, proved to be the reason why they failed. And uh, this is where that particular saying comes from. And we see in verse 34 that in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, uh, he not only saw a statue of a man, but he also saw a rock, a rock which was not shaped by human hands. In other words, a a rock which was shaped, cut out and shaped by a divine hand. And the rock, we're told, smashed the feet of the statue. And then the whole statue came tumbling down and broke to pieces. There was nothing left. Uh, the, uh, the statue turned to, it was like chaff, it was like dust. It was blown away in the wind. What was left was the rock. And this rock, we're told, grew and grew and grew and grew until it turned uh, into, into a mountain, into a mountain that filled the whole of the earth. That was the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar would have been on the edge of his feet because guess what? This, is, this was exactly his dream. This was exactly the image that had been torturing him night after night after night and now finally here is someone who is able to tell him what that dream was, someone who could reliably interpret the dream. Nebuchadnezzar was all ears. What did it mean? Well, we see the meaning of the dream from verse 37 and following. The statue of the man represents kingdoms. There are four kingdoms, a gold kingdom, silver kingdom, a bronze kingdom and an iron kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is the gold kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar is the head. But his kingdom will not last. It will be replaced by an inferior kingdom, that is the silver kingdom. And the silver kingdom would be replaced by another kingdom, that is the bronze kingdom, which itself would be replaced by a fourth kingdom, and that is the iron kingdom, the kingdom with dodgy feet. Each kingdom is less impressive than the kingdom before it. Now, the the scholars will debate about uh, how this prophecy was fulfilled. Uh, We'll see more of it when we get to chapter 7. But uh, the way I'm understanding things, uh, I'll just throw this out for you, is that uh, there were four uh, kingdoms. There was the Babylonian kingdom. Uh, Seventy years later, they were replaced by the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, They were then replaced by the Greek empire under Alexander the Great 
and uh, Alexander's empire was replaced by the Roman Empire. Uh, and uh, that Roman Empire uh, is an empire which had the mixed feet. It was strong, it was made of iron, but it, it covered so many different peoples that it was, was disunited. But what about the rock which destroyed those kingdoms? Verse 44... In verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold, to pieces. Now, do you think that an ancient king would be thrilled to hear that his empire was going to soon end? Do you think he'd be excited about that news? No. No, he wouldn't be. Uh, the idea that his kingdom was going to be replaced and turned to dust and it would just sort of blow away in the wind, um, this is actually bad news. And, and I, I reckon you would be hard-pressed to find any of the Babylonian wise men who would be prepared to give this interpretation of the dream. I reckon they would prefer to keep their heads. Right? You don't give a king bad news like this if you expect to live. But yet Nebuchadnezzar was deeply moved. We see in verse 46 and following that, uh, that he actually fell to the ground. Prostrate, he bowed down before Daniel. Now that is extraordinary, that is unheard of, that such a great king would actually bow down and give honour and praise and homage to Daniel. More than that, he gave honour and praise and homage to the God of Daniel, to the true and living God. And he promoted Daniel and his friends into great positions within his kingdom. Now the question is why? Why, why would Nebuchadnezzar respond that way? Sometimes we are tempted to hide spiritual truths from people, the hard spiritual truths. Uh, we're tempted uh, to hide from people the message about sin and death and judgment and the temporary nature of their lives. We don't like to talk about those things with people. But yet, these are the things which people need to hear. Uh, I remember a, a man who... Uh, was deeply non-Christian man who was deeply troubled by uh, some of the things which he had done in his life. Uh, he uh, felt uh, terribly guilty and terribly unworthy, and his self-esteem self was shot to pieces. Uh, he went to to talk to people about that, trying to get some some help, some healing, and he went to uh, some secular counsellors. 
the response he got from the secular councillors was, yeah, we, we hear what you're saying, but we don't feel so bad about yourself. You know, it was circumstances that made you like that. You know, you're not, you're not really... Get over your guilt, uh, move on and, you know, enjoy life a bit. Uh, this was a very unsatisfactory message to the man. He felt no healing and no, no understanding in that until he went to a Christian person, told the Christian person about his situation. The person said, I agree with you. I think that you have done some rotten things in your life. I think you are guilty and I think you're, you're unworthy. And guess what? So am I. <laughs> and the person was able to say, I've got some good news for you though. Let me tell you about Jesus, uh, the one who has died on the cross so that you can be forgiven of everything that you've done. At last, there was someone who understood and was able to give a solution to the problem. An elderly retired businessman uh, I, who I visited I used to visit regularly and uh, on one occasion uh, with uh, great sadness he said this to me. He said to me, Scott, uh, during my working life I built a, an empire, which was true. He had built a business empire. He said, but now here I am, my body is broken, my mind is fading, I'm here in this nursing home, I am frail and I've just received word that the uh, uh, lawyers have appointed somebody else as my power of attorney. In other words, I've, I now don't even have the power to write a cheque. And uh, this man didn't have long to live. I could have said, well, it's really sad, isn't it? And it's all wrong and etc, etc. But I said, no, I, I agree with you that uh, your empire has come to nothing. Let me tell you about a different empire. Let me tell you about a kingdom which lasts forever, ruled by a king who died and rose again so that even you can be forgiven. And he listened with, um, with warmth and with a desire to understand what Jesus had done for him. You see, the rock in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the rock who has not been cut out by any human hands. Jesus is the divine son of God and the New Testament constantly refers to Jesus as being the rock in various ways. He is the, the solid rock upon which we can build our lives. He is the rock upon which certain people stumble and fall. Uh, he is the rock He's, uh, the Bible also talks about uh, the metaphor of the mustard seed where the smallest of all seeds has grown uh, to be a, a tree that, uh, un under whose shade you can find refuge and you can find a home. The kingdom of God is like that. From something very small it grows to something very large. Now, we all get caught up in our own little empires, working towards our goals, defending against threats, feeling vulnerable, even now. Uh, as we um, 
I got my statement from my superannuation company the other day and I dared not open it up. Have you received one from yours lately? Right? As we see our wealth being sliced, being slashed uh, in the uh, wake of, a, as part of a global recession, which is like a tidal wave just sweeping across our economies. We feel vulnerable. We feel our empires under threat, our security, those things which we've worked for. Nobody feels more vulnerable than a king. Yet, as this ancient despot was confronted with the truth of his own transience, as he was given a vision of something more glorious, more solid, more lasting than the Babylonian throne upon which he sat with great unease, as he was confronted with the truth, some words which Jesus would later say were true for him, and that is that the truth shall set you free. We need to, tr to hear that truth ourselves, don't we? And we need to be prepared to tell others of that truth, even the hard bits, especially the hard bits. Men and women need to hear about sin and death and judgment. Men and women need to hear that their empire will one day end. But like Nebuchadnezzar, we and they need to hear about God's eternal kingdom, that Christ, the rock, has died for sins and risen again, and that for thousands of years his kingdom has been growing and filling the whole of this earth. That for the last 2,000 years that men and women and boys and girls of every nation, of every race, of every language, of every tribe and every village, that men and women all over the world for the last 2,000 years, millions and millions and millions and millions of men and women and boys and girls have been able to say, Jesus is my king, my ruler. Empires come and go, don't they? Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, it's ancient history. <laughs> uh, the political empires of our own day, the French Empire, the Spanish Empire, the British Empire, the Americans will fade and another nation will rise up, rise up in their place. We've seen the collapse of the Soviet Empire in the last, end of last century. Men and women need to be told that there is a different empire. And they need to be told that they are welcome to give up their self-centred aims and to experience the forgiveness and fulfilment of trusting in Christ and joining his kingdom. The invitation is open for all to respond to. It is a liberating truth, a converting truth. When men and women have nothing bigger than themselves, when men and women have got nothing bigger than their own empires, no matter how big or how small those empires may be, when men and women 
do not have anything else other than themselves and their own empire to worship, then why should we be surprised when life becomes unsatisfactory, stale, frustrating, unfulfilled? That is true for non-Christians. But this passage speaks to us as Christians. Um, occasionally, I, I come across Christians who are rarely happy. You come across Christians like that? Uh, you know, they're frustrated, they're, they're easily angered, they fly off the handle very quickly. Uh, they may have a, a critical spirit, uh, lacking in joy, uh, shifting from one church to another church to another church and other people are always letting them down. Right? And uh, the temptation for us is to say, yeah, you, you're right and um, you know, how sad for you and everyone else is wrong and let's see how we can fix up everyone else so as to, to make better for you and so on. But um, you know, when I scratch below the surface, I find one or more of the following things. I find that uh, very often they're married to their job. Uh, sometimes their relationships at home aren't all that crash hot. Uh, I find that uh, they, they're not really engaging in the community of God's people and serving other people. And guess what? Uh, they haven't prayed for a long time and Bible reading has sort of dropped off the radar as well. Now, you know, sometimes it's one or more of those things, but often those things are all connected. It's all part of the same package deal. They've been seduced by Babylon. That's what's happened. And perhaps we can be like that sometimes as well. What we need to do is we need to recognise that what we're dealing with here is a spiritual problem. And spiritual problems require spiritual remedies. You can't just band-aid it. You can't just patch it up. You can't just pander to these issues or try to fix up the rest of the world. It's a spiritual problem requiring spiritual remedies. Pray for such people. And be prepared to challenge them uh, with with the healing truth of the gospel. But if that person is us, then it means that we need to be refreshed. We need to refresh ourselves with a, uh, with a fresh vision of God's glorious kingdom. And we need to refresh ourselves with a vision of who we are in Christ. Sinners, forgiven, citizens of heaven, temporary residents only of this world. Our kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It is God's kingdom. What we do here in this life is temporary. So maybe we've got to evaluate our own lives and be prepared to give up some of our petty ambitions and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, being the revealer of truths. Father, we thank you that you are a merciful God 
and that you listen to prayers, that you are personal. We thank you that unlike the Babylonian gods, that you do dwell amongst men and that you have made yourself known in the person and the work of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, grant that we would have a fresh vision of your glorious kingdom. Grant that we would see our lives in that perspective and enable us to uh, seek after that which is truly valuable. Help us, Lord God, to fix our eyes on Christ Jesus, on what he has done for us. And Father, on that heavenly kingdom which will never perish, spoil or fade, but is kept for us and has been made possible through the mercy of Jesus. Help us, Lord God, to be filled with a love and a passion for you and to get our, our, our eyes and our minds off uh, ourselves and uh, reflect on you and your purposes for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.